0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Worimi people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast
1: with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean
0: the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting, and
1: overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist, and naturopath, and of course, mums, so that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week, you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice, and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's, Let's dive in. Today's episode was brought to you by
0: BioFirst. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Boop to Food, the podcast. I think this is number 30. I think so, too. Yeah. I was like, hooray. Oh. Hooray. <laughs> we made it to 30 episodes. <laughs> How you going, Kate? How was your week?
1: Yeah, pretty, pretty all right. Um, yeah, gosh, I never have anything to add, do I? <laughs> I think, yeah, week was pretty normal with the kids. We... um yeah, lots of friends again. We've been really packing our days together with just heaps of time outside, such beautiful weather. Mm. Like it honestly felt like spring this week, which was such a treat. Um, yeah, it's been good. I'm yeah. excited about our week next week though. That's when I'll have exciting things to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that one in the yeah. loop so you have something to say next week. How many weeks are you now? I am 34 weeks. Wow. Yeah, it's really – that has really hit me, to be honest. Mm. Actually, yes, that has been not good this week. The pregnancy is great, but I am so tired, and pregnancy insomnia has really caught yeah. up with me. I experienced it in all of the pregnancies, um, but this time has been exceptionally bad <laughs> i a couple of nights ago couldn 't fall asleep until four o 'clock in the morning, which was like torturous, and both kids were in bed with me because Mike was having to get up early the next day so I was like uncomfortable sandwiched between them, couldn't get up. And then um, the next night I managed to fall asleep but then woke up at 4 a.m. So It's so um, cruel, isn't it? It's awful. They say it's practice, but it's like we don't need practice. (laughs) I know. And I'm finding it's actually sleep for me is quite like when I don't get good sleep, it can really trigger a lot of anxiety, which – it's this then vicious cycle of i'm so tired and i'll go to bed feeling like i can't keep my eyes open and as soon as my head hits the pillow i'm wide awake and i can't fall asleep and then i start getting stressed about not being asleep and not being able to go to sleep mm-hmm. and thinking that i'm going to wake up in the night and it's honestly just awful <laughs> and yeah i feel like the sleep factor is just such a a massive piece of the puzzle for me it's really interesting I don't feel the same with like the newborn sleep deprivation I find that really manageable Mm. but there's something about this kind of sleep deprivation that just totally unravels me so yes that has been a (laughs) not fun part of the week just trying to rest in ways that I can the key that I've figured out that does eventually help me fall to sleep is um If there's something that I genuinely want to listen to, like a podcast or an audiobook or something like that, that I'm interested in the content, inevitably trying to listen to it will make me fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been using that a little bit, but then sometimes like that particularly bad night where I didn't fall asleep till 4am, I managed to get through a whole heap of podcasts. And so every time I'd get to the end of one, I was like... No, like, Mm. good, I got to listen to it, but then also, why am I still awake? Which, Mm. yeah, it's...
0: You haven't got those hormones that you get when you're breastfeeding, I guess, that will help you fall back in that deep sleep with your baby. It's frustrating. How frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. But But taking your magnesium. It's
1: all right. Taking my magnesium. Mm. Yeah, I've got some herbs. I've got some homeopathics. I think it's my body's way probably of also telling me that I need to slow things down. Like Mm. it's been really busy. Like I said, it's all really good. Like we've got fun things happening on my days with the kids, but they're busy days nonetheless. Like Mm. we're not having a lot of home time and then the work days are pretty jam-packed. I am wrapping up with clients soon, which is kind of bittersweet. Mm. Um, It's such a weird feeling, but that will create a bit more space to just – yeah, I think like starting to go inwards and people are like, "Have you got everything you need for the baby?" I'm like, "I have no idea. I haven't oh. had a chance to look at it. <laughs> I really don't know." So, <laughs> the baby anyway, things. <laughs> I know. I just assume like, oh, there'll be something that it can wear. Yeah. Um yeah, but anyway.
0: Yeah, well we're recording our yes. hospital bag and prepping and all of this stuff so prepping for labor birth yeah postpartum so keep an ear out for those yes. episodes because i need to take my own yeah.
1: advice
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah have lots of information for everyone soon yeah
1: mm. how was your week you had a fun week
0: i did have a fun week sorry <laughs> if it <laughs> helps so i was sleep deprived to too so if that <laughs> helps
1: we went camping um,
0: yeah, it was so nice because yeah, like you said, the weather's been so mm. nice and it was like 25 degrees That's on the weekend, amazing. which we live in Newcastle, which, you know, gets quite cold. Mm. We don't get, I look at all these people in Queensland, I'm like, oh, I need to <laughs> move. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so 25 in the middle of winter is extremely abnormal. And anyway, we were like, this weather's so nice, let's go camping. So literally the next day we went camping and good. it was very spontaneous, which was great. But um, I don't know anyone that's been camping or have tried to camp would know that getting out the door is <laughs> every time we're like, this is such a mission. Yeah. I think that morning, so we decided to go the night before, and then so we had nothing ready. Mm. And so then that morning I went to the gym and then I went straight to the shops. I was at the shops by 10 past seven. We didn't get out of the door till 12. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like just the amount of stuff you want to bring with three yeah. kids and then trying to pack with the kids all like running on the road and mm. destroying the house and oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah. but every time we're like, why do we do this to ourselves? But mm-hmm. then as, every time you get there, you're like, oh, okay, this yeah. is why. <laughs> it's so nice. Oh, that's and lovely. And you can just tune out. And normally we always camp with friends, which I love. Um, but I'll say to you, like it was so nice to go to go just us, we don't really do that and we don't get a lot of family time at the moment because my husband's working weekends Mm -hmm. while I work during the week. So it was really nice just to have family time and then we had no reception which was quite frustrating because I – didn't plan for that and had mm. heaps of work to do, but it was also nice because you were just forced to switch off. Yeah. So I was going to bed at like seven thirty at night because <laughs> I was like, we we're free camping? There's no power or anything." Oh, it's like wow. get, get bored by seven thirty. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but yeah. I was sleep deprived because Will always sleeps <laughs> terrible when we're camping, oh, and maybe. so yeah, it was, gets pretty cold at night, and then just new environment, I guess, and yeah. so I think the first night he. He came in at around 11 o'clock at night and then was up for hours just tossing mm. and turning. And I wouldn't mind if he slept with me, but he just – they don't sleep. Like he just yeah. – like he's constantly awake. Yeah. Um, then the second night he slept okay and then the third night was bad again. I think he was up from 3 a.m. till 6 a.m. And then he finally fell back to sleep at oh. 6, but then the other two yeah. woke up. Yeah, so but, you've been awake since yeah. 3. Yeah, <laughs> and then we're in a caravan. So then they woke him up again because yeah. like, we're in a confined space. Oh. Anyway, that's, I won't turn everyone off of this, but so nice, but yes. Yeah, not with without you. challenges. <laughs> not without challenges,
1: but that's okay. It's always worth it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I think just having that time together as a family, like yeah. I've become so acutely aware of, you know, like Jude starting school next year and yeah. we actually went for a little play afternoon at his school this week, which was beautiful and also I'm like, oh. It's happening. Yeah. Like that time of, yeah, being able to just be with each other is, mm-hmm. it just is really so fleeting. So oh, I've been feeling the same because Flo is yeah. school next year as well. And
0: yeah, it doesn't get easier with the second. Yeah. Everyone's like, by the second you'll be fine.
1: I'm like, no, it's <laughs> like, I don't know, every time it's like losing a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's anyway. like, it's great. Obviously you want them to do it, but then also, yeah. yeah I'm just like, oh, I'm not ready for just, school holidays and weekends yeah. together.
0: Although I will say to anyone who's like venturing into school, this day and, and you people would have heard it, the days mm. are so short mm. that you end up still having a lot of time with them.
1: Yeah, actually I remember that from when I used to work as a nanny. I'd kind mm. of like do this, you know, had three kids that I was looking after and so like you drop one at preschool, one at school Take the little one to the park, go home, has a sleep. Suddenly, you're like, okay, got to go back to get the kids again. Um, Yeah. I remember when I was at school feeling like, oh, so long, I'm here forever. And then (laughs) when it's you having to do the drop off and pick up, you're like, I've
0: got no time in between. It's so short. (laughs) And I think, like, you know, you're missing that morning with them. But I I don't know if I can't speak for everybody, but generally, Mm -hmm. when I had Flynn say at home, or now, when I have flow, we'll mm. go out for the morning and see friends, yeah. And I don't really see them anyway the entire yes, time, like that's I'm true. there, yeah, but I'm not really hanging with them, they're there with yeah. their friends, that's and, true. and then we're going for a nap, and that's usually when they get to watch a movie or something. Mm. So we'll can have a nap and I'll prep dinner,
2: yeah.
0: And then the afternoons is when we'll do like activities yeah. and things. So it is sad and it's so hard, especially first time around, but you will find you still get a lot of time with them. You've just got to be a bit more, um, I don't know, intentional intentional with with the time, I think, instead Mm. of the afternoons chucking the TV on or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah, trying to make the most of that time. And we'll have to save for a caravan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and go camping and take them out of school for a week. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: so good.
0: I love it. <laughs> yeah. But this week we have a really great episode. It's something that we're asked about mm. a lot, which is all about um, growth charts and yeah. I guess what comes from the information yeah. from a growth chart and What's the anxiety around and it. and yeah. what to –
1: Yeah. When to worry, when not Mm. to worry. I think it, yeah, a lot of parents, especially first time around or subsequent children as well, but there can be so much emphasis put on the percentiles Mm. and you know, parents can feel very deflated and we talk about that a little bit and then advice around what to do about it can mm. be fairly conflicting. So we're really lucky today to speak with Dr. Eliza Hannam, who is a GP. She's also a board certified lactation consultant and a Possum's Neuroprotective Care accredited practitioner. She's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> such a is. wonderful resource. Um, We we all wish that we could get into her books and have her as our GP,
0: but we'll let you listen to her incredible advice and knowledge on this podcast.
1: Hello, Dr. Eliza, and welcome to Boob to Food, the podcast. We are thrilled to have you with us today and to pick your brain on all things growth charts. But before we dive into all of the juicy information, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what it is that you do and who's in your family? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. It's super
2: exciting to be here. Um, so, I'm Eliza. I'm a GP um, and I'm a board certified lactation consultant and also a um, Possums neurodevelopmental care accredited practitioner. Um, so, I work with families to support sleep and um, unsettled infant behaviour relating to that. And I've got three kids. So, my youngest is just 15 months. And then I've got a almost five year old and a seven year old. So, school holidays Amazing. at the moment and <laughs> trying to get, get through that time. Um, and I, I live in Sydney.
1: Amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, we absolutely love what you put out into the world and we're so happy to have found you and have connected and yeah, we just love what you do. It's so, so needed for families.
0: Mm. Thanks.
1: Likewise. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So we wanted to talk to you today about growth charts
0: because we on the back end get a lot of mm. questions, mm. a lot of questions from Worried and anxious parents and caregivers with good reasoning who have been, you know, gone to the get the weight done and then for some Mm. reason or another their baby hasn't met the expectations of what, you know, they wanted to see on the growth charts and then Mm. the advice is often not what we would advise. And so anyway, we Mm. wanted to chat to you today about growth charts. So first off, can you explain what growth charts are?
2: Yeah, so they are a way of tracking infant growth. We've usually got we've got two growth charts, one that's from zero to two, and then one that's two to eighteen. Um, and so it it kind of tracks a typical trend of growth. Um, and I guess looking at like statistical averages mm-hmm. and it has centile lines, so that shows again, it's just statistics around around average or median um from the third centile to the ninety-seventh. And so it's important to know it's based on this observation of normal population data, and by definition, everything from the third centile to the 97th centile is normal, um, and it's literally just reflecting a a population range. Um, And so we use it to, like, we plot a baby's weight on the chart as an indication to see whether they're gaining um, an appropriate amount of weight, and if they're not, then I guess it's just a prompt to look into whether um, whether there's concerns about whether there's an underlying medical issue or you know issue relating to feeding that they're either, that they're not following kind of the
0: shape of the growth chart. I think that's important what you noted there, mm. even just that first sentence that anywhere between the third and the ninety seventh is considered normal because mm. you hear so many people who are like my child's on the 97th percentile or my child's on the third and like it's a bad thing and you mm. think well someone's yeah. got to someone's got to be there to to
1: yeah, have a, exactly. a medium someone's got to get you that mm. 50th centile yeah. it's not like you're aiming yeah. for a specific number on the chart like
2: yeah yeah no 50th or more is not like better or desirable or something that you can achieve your baby is just genetically going to be somewhere on that chart Mm. the question I guess in our minds is are they where they're meant to be genetically Mm. on that chart
0: Mm. yeah and I think I was pretty open when I started group to food uh, when my middle child was four months old and we went for her growth Mm. and she was that child on the like the very very last you know third centile and Mm. always has been and still is to this day Mm. and I was told you know, start her on solids at four months even though she wasn't developmentally ready and they scared me into, you know, she's not putting on her weight even though she was Mm. content and happy and breastfeeding and Mm. weeing and pooing and everything. And I just walked out feeling really deflated by that. And Mm. thankfully I thought, i you know i know she's fine i have you know i trust that she's fine and every you know she's i was a midwife at least so i'm like i know she's kind of ticking the boxes in terms of mm. development what i think is normal but i could so see how parents could yeah. walk out of that and be like oh my god and you know go into overdrive and think something's I wrong with feel their really child guilty
2: i think as yeah. well like not from this sense of like oh what have i done wrong or how did i miss this or i'm not feeding my child yeah. it, it comes with a lot of emotions and i think probably health practitioners forget that sometimes that yeah. a throwaway Mm. comment about a growth chart or the baby's weights can be felt as personal criticism I think mums in particular are good at feeling guilty anyway but Mm. yeah absolutely that's a really common thing to um you can imagine if you didn't have that that understanding and that knowledge and that reassurance that it could really make you feel um guilty or worried yeah Um, but I would also say you know you're not a big person that's I'm Mm. often saying to parents you know I have this you know little 50 kilo mum sitting with me and wondering why her baby's on the fifth centile Mm. and I'd say you know is it surprising that you you have a a child who's
0: also on the third or
2: the fifth centile if Mm. you're not a big person yourself.
0: Mm. I know well that was the funny thing about Florence because she was on the like really high scale for I can't remember exactly now for her height mm. and they were like oh mm. she's you know out of proportion and I was like oh you need to see her dad he should have brought her, <laughs> her to dad? He long yeah, and lean as well? so yeah so long and yeah. lean yeah <laughs> and I was like yeah I said often I'm like sitting <laughs>
2: with these parents and I'm like look at you where do you think you would sit on the centile yeah, chart exactly
1: you know, yeah. not surprising yeah I actually had the opposite with Jude my eldest he mm. was like I, I was he was 97th and above for weight mm, he was yeah. so chunky but then if you look back at baby photos of me and like not so much now like my husband and I uh I would say well I mean, my husband's probably on the smaller side for um mm. a male and I'm I don't know average ish to on the smaller side but as a baby I was like mm. rolls everywhere humongous and he I actually had my like it was a little yellow book back in the day. I have that at home, and his weight was like above mine, but it was, you know, I think the it's genetically, similar. for whatever reason, like mm. that's just what <laughs> my God. genetics dictated. Yeah. Yeah, but,
2: that's true. It's not necessarily your size as an adult. Often mm. I would say, do you know much about your size as a baby? Um, and I think from memory, if, if your eldest was breastfed, also just say mm. there are some breastfed babies who just. Are <laughs> beautiful and roly and that's the way they're meant to be. And yeah. and equally not a cause for concern, whether it's the third or the 97th. Yeah.
1: And so is that okay? Like if you're sitting at one end of the chart or the other end of the chart, mm-hmm. like is that okay? Or when would you see it as a cause for concern?
2: Yeah. So I think um I, I guess if it was unexplained, it would just be it doesn't mean it's a problem, but if um, you know, you had two large parents who were big babies you know and themselves breastfed and then you had a baby that was smaller you I guess sometimes it would just make us just double check that everything's okay but you might find that there was some other family members like I've got I've got some really short family members and my youngest is quite small and I think she's just more like them um it's also so like, yeah I think if there's a mismatch between what you would genetically expect and what you're seeing or it's more the pattern so if you've got a baby who Um, and i'll come to like once they find their centile so Mm we can we can cover that in a second but often their birth centile is not necessarily where they're meant to be but if once they've found their centile that they're then kind of falling away continuing to drop away from that growth chart that can be um it might mean that they're not getting enough milk or that or you know that there's another indication of a problem or again it's not just the numbers so i always talk about like you look at the baby in front of you so you might have a baby on the 50th centile um who looks like like they don't have significant fat stores or looks dehydrated that the 50 center might not be the right place for them. Mm. Or sometimes I'll see babies on the third or fifth centiles and they've got mm. cute little fat rolls and they're beautifully hydrated and they're happy and they're sleeping well and they're feeding well. Um, and so you kind of have to look at the whole picture I said of that baby. So their hydration and their fat stores and their behavior and their sleep um, as well as their genetic potential. And as well as also, I guess for me, is there some other indication of a medical issue? So, um, having a talk about their their poos and whees, and I um, said general behaviour, or any other like severe eczema, other kind of indications of a medical
0: issue that might be um, meaning that their growth is not where we would expect. Mm. And you mentioned a few times that with a breastfed baby, would there be a difference mm. in growth than with a formula fed baby on the charts?
2: Yeah, so we know that um, probably I think it's for the first year of life that um, breastfed babies' growth is a bit slower than formula-fed babies, mm-hmm. and that's actually why I don't know if there's um, a couple of different growth charts. So the World Health Organization growth chart um, is assumes that breastfeeding is the norm, whereas the... Um, CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the US, the CDC growth chart um, is based on average US um, observational data, so it's probably more um, formula-fed babies. Um, So you can see there is a subtle difference between those two growth charts, um, but that reflects the fact that we know that breastfed babies' growth is typically slower for the first year of life as a generalization. Um, And if you're just using a chart that doesn't kind of differentiate, it might not be appropriate for your baby. Also, it's worth acknowledging that the charts don't necessarily reflect like different in ethnicity. So um, there are some ethnicity-specific growth charts available, but if you're just using the standard one in the blue book or yellow book or whatever it is in your state, um, it might not be adjusting for formula versus breast milk or ethnicity. Um, Mm. And so it might be worthwhile getting
0: an appropriate, you know, specific growth chart. Yeah, can you just order those online or just a GP?
2: Yeah, those? so I think sometimes you have to um, pay for them, but yeah, mm-hmm. there are, they're online. You can often find
0: um, growth charts with those, or even
2: like finding the World Health Organization one, for example. Yep. Um, the practice software might be different to the Blue Book, which might be different to another one. So, mm-hmm. um, and some apps, actually, you
1: can get growth chart apps, you might be able to get specific oh, yeah. yep. um,
2: parameters for that.
1: Yeah. And I like what you said. It's like, I guess, regardless of which chart you use, you're looking at the child in front of you. So it can give an indication, it can give you some kind of like loose trajectory, but as long as you're observing your child, and I think like we come back a lot in the episodes to the mother's intuition and just if you believe that, oh, maybe my like baby hasn't been putting on weight appropriately and they also are very drowsy or very grisly or something like that, that you're not just relying on that chart in front of you, but you're, yeah, looking at all of the pieces of the puzzle.
2: Mm. Yeah. I said parents often intuitively know that Mm. something just doesn't seem quite right. Um, And I think the chart is like a a screening tool. Mm. And so absolutely, of course, if, if a baby, if it was not what we expected, it was dropping off. Um, then I think it's worth looking into things further, but it doesn't have to end with that and management doesn't have to be determined fully just by the growth chart. I think Mm. if nothing else, it should trigger us to be really fully assessing this baby, um, you know, and and making sure we're not missing anything. But I I don't think it's appropriate to um, give management entirely based on a growth chart and nothing else.
1: Mm. And you mentioned um, babies finding their centile. Mm. What would that look like? Like, what sort of time frame would you be expecting if the birth weight isn't necessarily, you know, entirely predictive where of where be. they'll land? Yeah. yeah.
2: Look, it can it can vary a little bit, but yeah, I guess uh, the conversation I often have with families is saying, um, you know, the birth centile is often a reflection of the kind of intrauterine environment, so it's going to be um, relating to placental function, to how long the baby's in there, um, and not necessarily their genetic. Um, growth and so there are babies who um, might start on the third centile and catch up to a higher conversely there might be babies who are born on the 97th centile and they catch down Um, and so often they will if I would generalize find their genetic kind of centile um, presuming that they're getting enough milk and that there's no other medical issues by about six to twelve weeks sometimes you know there might be some early feeding issues that um you know we need to work on around supply or latching positioning or the baby's sleepy and so there might be like an early dip which you know is indicating that they're not getting quite enough milk and then they need to catch that up so you kind of might you can't see my hands obviously if you listen (laughs) to this but they might start at one level and then dip down and then catch right up and then kind of the, the growth increase might slow down again. So, you know, really in that it might take 6 to 12 weeks also for feeding to be really well established and supply. So I think it's important to be, of course, closely monitoring and making sure we're looking at the other parameters like hydration and output. Um, but after, I'd say usually by 12 weeks or not earlier, they will have hopefully found a centile and then ideally follow it wherever that is. Um, Of course, occasionally you might have like a particular illness in there or um, sometimes when babies are like getting more active and mobile, it might kind of slow down a little bit. Um, Often I can kind of say, you know, if the baby's sitting, say, between the 5th and the 15th, would ideally um hope that they'll stay there but it might kind of bounce a little bit sometimes close if it's sometimes close to the 15th i think families especially with the with the um app charts you know they would say it's the 5.1 mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't have to be exactly there it's kind of just the general range and the general trends that we'd expect they'd follow once they've kind of found that center where they're meant to be
0: so what would be con- considered a like red flag or something that would be concerning to see on a growth chart you mentioned dropping off the charts a few times
2: yeah when I sorry I don't mean necessarily off the chart altogether I mean like so crossing yeah. centile lines um consistently yeah. um, would would potentially be concerning um weight loss in babies um, is uh, potentially concerning and always needs looking into. So, um, you know, often on a growth chart, when it's flattening off, it's just that the weight gain isn't necessarily what we'd expect, but but as a weight loss um, always, I think, needs review, um, they would be the massive red flags to me. Or as I said, if you've got a, a baby that clearly is different to the rest of the family, you um, on that growth chart or a significant disproportion between say the head circumference and the weight and the length again it's not necessarily an absolute sign but it would certainly be a flag that um, that it's worth reviewing um, because then i guess the question is if they're not gaining weight as expected that's again that's not a diagnosis that's that's kind mm. of a clue and so then we then have to look into is it that the baby's not getting enough milk you know assuming we're talking in the first 12 months which might be a supply issue or it might be a transfer issue that they're not able to get the milk out of the, the breast or the bottle um is it that they're using up more calories than um, we'd expect, like due to an underlying medical condition, such as a lung problem or a heart problem or a gut problem, or are they losing calories like through the gut, like they're not absorbing properly? So I think we'd first say that there is potentially an underlying cause, and then let's say we have to work out what it is. The like the vast majority would be that they're not getting enough milk for whatever reason, and so then we're looking at kind of optimizing breastfeeding or, or bottle feeding if it's that or, or both um but you know i think it's, you just kind of keep going down these paths if you say a baby's not getting weight but there seems to be great supply and there seems to be good feeding then we think is there something else going on i said is there an intolerance or a, another medical condition um that's affecting their growth and how they're using up calories
1: we'll be back after this short break today's episode was brought to you by biofirst BioFirst is an Australian family brand who wanted better options for not only their family, but also to help as many people as possible. All products are manufactured locally within Australia and their products are genuinely natural with no nasties like phthalates, petrochemicals, synthetics, or chemical solvents, as well as being free of irritants and designed for little hypersensitive skin and their dermatologist certified. We love using their ultra-sensitive
0: skin rescue lotion in our house our little will is a little bit prone to getting some eczema and I find that this amazing chemical free alternative is a really great barrier cream
1: for it. Yeah I recommend it a lot to clients in the clinic as well for anyone really who has that sort of sensitive or irritated skin it's um yeah it's quite an amazing product and they also have a beautiful range of immune supporting products Um, I think we all know how much I love manuka honey for its therapeutic benefits and so they use manuka honey as well as some other beautiful ingredients in those both well actually they've got kids products and adult products and I
0: personally have
1: to hide them from my kids oh my gosh me too <laughs> I had
0: it on the bench for a while so I remembered to give it and my kids were obsessed and they yeah. just kept asking for it so now Big I've had to hide really it good. in the cupboard
1: <laughs> yeah we're the same in our house
0: you can use the code BoobToFood to food for 15% of the entire range visit www.bio-first.com.au
1: now let's get back
0: to today's episode What if they're putting on too much weight? Is that such a thing? If they're going up the charts too quick?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will usually say that um, for breastfed babies, like that's just not a thing. Um, So there are just some breastfed babies who scale up the chart and they're way up there and they're happy and they're healthy. And um, I I don't think it's a problem and it's certainly not predictive of like obesity or other health problems later in life. Um it's a little bit trickier for bottle-fed babies um, because I guess theoretically um, overfeeding is, is theoretically possible if you weren't kind of feeding to a baby's cues. So I guess that's a whole other topic in itself. <laughs> but um, you know, I often say you can still feed a formula of bottle-fed baby to cue. You absolutely should use the formula tin or whatever as a guide. Um, but I think a lot of families feel pressured to give these huge bottles of milk and it might like, you know, feeling like they need to keep persisting, keep persisting um, and maybe their baby doesn't necessarily need quite as much. So I think it's a little bit a little bit more complicated for formula-fed babies but even then um, you're still going to have like normal babies that are up around the 97th mm. and 99th centile but it would be worth having a conversation about whether um, they are just following the baby's cues, are they following the tin, the bottle flow, um, you know, those sorts of things in in that context.
1: Mm. And can I ask, how often Mm. would you recommend weighing a baby for that information to be meaningful? That's a great question. So there there is a lot of like room for statistical error,
2: especially in those first few weeks. So um, when we kind of are quoting an expected weight gain a baby in the first three months of life, um, probably somewhere around 20 to 30 grams a day on average would be um, typical or expected, Um, but that doesn't mean we should be weighing a baby every day. So if you think about like a wee, a poo, a feed could be 50, 60, 70 grams, which might be like a couple of days worth of growth. If we're weighing a baby every day, there's just too much room for statistical inaccuracy relating to that. So I think if there were significant concerns about a baby's growth or weight or well-being, like probably every three or four days would be the absolute soonest that I would recommend it. Generally, I would say weekly or less would be appropriate, um, assuming that we're following things up. And then once you know that hopefully a baby has found their centile and is tracking along, it would be safe to spread out to fortnightly and then just basically in line with the, um, the checks in the, in the blue book or. The other book
1: Mm -hmm. and yeah we have had some families reach out who've had like a lot of anxiety around their Mm -hmm. child's weight who've been doing things like weighing after every feed or Mm -hmm. every nappy output Mm -hmm. and I think if you're feeling that level of concern about Mm. your baby's weight absolutely reach out to your GP or like whoever your healthcare provider is um, because I think you know from the like parent perspective that is just way too anxiety inducing and like you say there's just too much room for it to Mm. not actually be meaningful data it's just like they've done a bigger than usual and then then you're freaking out which like we've got enough to be worried about with our kids than, Mm. you know, weighing them multiple times a day.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I'll often say to families, like, let me take that worry yeah, from you absolutely. like I'm monitoring it I, like I promise you your baby's safe we're absolutely yes. following this up but like let me take that from your list yes. of things to worry about mm. um also you know weighing on multiple different sets of scales has room for um, inaccuracies and, and therefore we can misinterpret information mm. there's really no good evidence to support pre and post feed weights um mm. as a way of indicating how much milk a baby has had um and yeah, I think if you're at the point of weighing nappies, like if there's that much concern, then then yeah. probably, you know, a health practitioner, a medical practitioner should be involved at that yes, point. So, absolutely. but yeah, just that I, I totally understand it's hard, um, especially, you know, for families who maybe have had growth concerns during pregnancy mm-hmm. or in that, like, you know, might have had a baby who'd had a stay in special care, you can kind of get in this um trap where you can really obsess about weight which I totally understand but as you say often it it causes more anxiety than reassurance so getting it can be helpful to get some guidance about how often and when to weigh and and what is useful information there
1: yeah, yeah. outsource the stress to Dr Eliza yeah.
0: <laughs> your books will be I'll take it yep. yeah yeah <laughs> so you mentioned as well earlier about babies that are moving and then that weight gain can slow down Do the charts, like, allow for this? Because obviously, like, I don't know, just talking back to my experience again, Mm -hmm. my children were really early movers Mm -hmm. and I think that's when we started seeing the quote-unquote problems even though it wasn't a problem because they were light. But I was like, oh, it's because they move so much, like, Mm -hmm. you know, earlier than every other baby that's still a blob. (laughs) Like, Yeah. So I think they can't,
2: unfortunately, allow for it. I mean, what I would say also is it's, um if you look at the shape of the growth chart you've got this quite rapid growth for the first three months and then it does slow down which may in part be relating to babies being more mobile it's also just kind of the way that they metabolize and use um calories changes um but so so i I guess maybe that's, that's part of it and I think often what you're seeing is more just like physically when you look at the child in front of you, they will often kind of lean out a little bit as they're more active, um, but you won't necessarily see that reflected in huge changes on the growth chart. Or as I said, it might be that if they're sitting between the um, 25th and 50th that, you know, before moving, they were closer to the 50th and then as they're more mobile, close to the 25th, but it's still kind of within that that range and following the shape of the growth chart generally but yeah of course it's it's significantly different between babies um you know some are like commando crawling at five months and some you know don't ever crawl actually <laughs> or, yeah you know <laughs> might be walking at 18 months so yeah you know, there's so much variation that and it's i would think expected that it would um potentially in, impact kind of their appearance and growth a little bit
1: mm. And if you do have a baby who's sort of sitting lower on the growth charts or, Mm. um, yeah, their their, um, percentile has been, you know, on the slower side in increasing, Mm. if at all, and they're around that four-month mark but not developmentally ready for solids, would you be encouraging a family to get started on solid foods or topping up feeds or or what would be your recommendation?
2: Mm. Um. So I think if if you've got a baby who's on the third centile but tracking and healthy and developing normally and there's no concern about medical um, issues, then it doesn't need any management but hopefully just reassurance if that feels like it's appropriate. Um, but if you've got a baby whose growth just isn't quite following the centile chart and we're concerned, like the short answer is no, I don't think it's appropriate to be starting solids earlier than they're developmentally ready. Um, The question is, you know, as I said again, understanding why and if it's that they're not getting enough milk, the things that we need to be doing to optimise supply. Occasionally, supplemental uh, feeds with either breast milk or formula are appropriate if there is a genuine concern about growth. Um, But, you know, we know that um, the majority of a baby's nutritional needs up to 12 months should be coming from milk. So if there are genuine concerns about growth, and it would appear that it's because they're not getting enough calories, then those calories should come from milk. Um, and so whether it's, you know, working on measures to optimise a mum's supply, to improve milk transfer, um, sometimes short-term or even long-term supplemental um, feeds are needed, uh, but
0: that would be, the recommendation would be ABM or, or formula not solids. Mm. Well, that's good to hear because that's what we hear all the time and it frustrates me a lot because I think, well, if you're thinking of a majority of babies who aren't developmentally ready to start solids, Mm. they're likely not going to eat much at all without you having to force feed them to eat more than they want to eat. And so when you look at calories in from food or milk, it's going to be a Mm. lot higher from milk. And so I don't know why – many people's first recommendations isn't to see a lactation consultant Mm. um, Mm. rather than just going to food. And then that's the other thing we hear Mm. of the most awful foods to start with because they're considered high-calorie, like Mm. custard and milo. And, I mean, I've been sent some very funny lists that are like – Printed from the oh, health.
2: calorie dense foods. Yeah, yeah. And they're,
0: yeah, they're just absolutely not foods that we would ever recommend as first foods for babies. Mm. Um, I would, yeah, I would say for like much older babies who we've got growth concerns, um, then
2: absolutely the conversation is sometimes around um, just maximising the. Nutrition and calories in their solids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then the recommendation I'm usually talking about nut butters and avocados mm-hmm. and butter and ghee and just basically absolutely getting really um, nutrition and calorie mm-hmm. dense solids in, especially if they're not eating much. Um, but I said that's for, for older babies when most of their calories are coming from foods. Yeah. Um, and for younger babies, yeah, I just think we can't, um, there are no solids that are going to nutritionally um, meet breast milk or even formula for a young baby. You know, mm-hmm. formula has been designed to specifically meet the nutritional needs of babies. We can't replicate that with solids. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and and breast milk is obviously so much more than just the nutrition and the calories anyway. So I mean even calorie for calorie, if you I think breast milk is like 4.4 grams of fat per 100 um, grams in custard would be four. so actually yeah. that's not even more fatty than breast milk anyway mm-hmm. but it's not just literally um the the calories or the nutritional breakdown there's so much more to breast milk than than that
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah well that's nice to hear yeah <laughs> i think reassuring for families because it can be super confusing and obviously yeah. like when we're speaking to a, a large amount of families, but obviously not individually all the time, and providing mm-hmm. information around like great first foods and that sort of thing, and then they're receiving mm. very conflicting advice from health professionals mm. um, with the intention of, you know, increasing their baby's weight because their baby's low on the growth chart or whatever, it can be hard to then be like, oh, who do I listen to? Because it's mm. literally the opposite. Yeah. So, yeah, really nice to hear your perspective yeah. on it. Um, and I think hopefully that can reassure families that there's things, there might be work that needs to be done, but it's not necessarily how do I get my baby to eat custard, it's <laughs> how do I optimise my yeah. milk supply and that exchange with the baby.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I think it is um, to acknowledge there has been a, a change even within my like professional lifetime around solids. So when my baby was born, my eldest is seven, the advice from health professionals was kind of any time between four and six months. And that's often what I would say to families, like it's absolutely when they're developmentally ready, but kind of between four and six months. And now, you know, I'm really saying for most babies, it's six months, mm-hmm. occasionally a little bit earlier, um, still based on developmental readiness, but it's hard when, you know, even between children, advice might've changed, yeah. mm-hmm. let alone, um, at the same time between health professionals giving different advice. Mm. Uh, but I think it's, I think if something's not feeling right, it's always okay to get a second opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and to speak to, you know, like a lot of doctors, if I'm honest, we don't get a lot of training in like nutrition specifically. So if it's yeah. around solids rather than kind of milk feeds, um, there's, it's okay to get advice from someone who specialised in that, like a nutritionist or a dietitian. And mm-hmm. even I as a, as a GP who works in this area, you know, have spoken to um, nutritionists to get advice around yeah optimizing my kids diets yeah. because yep. it's just not something you necessarily know as a parent and I said, and some health professionals haven't had much training in it mm. to be yeah. honest
0: no I think it's good to highlight because obviously a GP can't know everything mm. you know you know a lot mm. <laughs> and um you know there's, well, we there's, just, there is like you can't have to know a bit about everything exactly but, yeah, sometimes we don't <laughs> yeah in depth yeah and that's why there's other modalities and health professionals to help and yeah. I guess knowing when to refer is mm-hmm. is a really important skill from a GP's perspective but yeah I think that that's the important thing is just to know that like you know you can definitely get that second opinion if if you're given Mm. food advice or something that doesn't align with you you can definitely find someone that aligns with you for that but the biggest thing I guess is just yeah being aware of those red flags and yeah, just like seeking mm. help if if you're concerned about your child is the biggest
1: thing. And I guess as well knowing that, um, you know, the rates of breastfeeding do drop off so yeah. dramatically mm. in those, you know, first weeks and months of a, an infant's life that if we're mm. trying to be like protective of breastfeeding, you know, to connect with a lactation consultant, even mm. if you feel mm. like, you know, feeds have been going well but now there's this change in weight, there's still support that can be there for older babies and um yeah yeah, making sure that those milk feeds, wherever they're coming from, are still prioritised and really protected.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, um, concerns around growth and supply would be some of the most common reasons for premature weaning. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that, you know, we know that 97% 97% or 5% of um women intend to breastfeed and that that drops off and a lot of the time you know our families desperately want to keep feeding but they um you know apart from pain they're often convinced that it, there's there's not enough milk that their milk's not fatty enough mm. um because maybe their baby has caught down um a bit on the growth charts or well, maybe their supply is a bit slow but um But sometimes actually their supply is perfectly fine and it's actually just having someone to tell them it's okay that your baby's feeding one, two, three hourly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay that they're cluster feeding. It's okay that they don't want you to put them down. That's not actually a sign that your supply is low. Um, So in that way, actually, the growth chart can be helpful Mm -hmm. because I can say even though you're concerned about these these behaviours, this is showing me that your baby's actually getting exactly what they need and that your milk is absolutely enough Um, because so often um the, the things that we are using or that, that mums use as signs that their supply is not good enough aren't necessarily signs of that So it might just be developmentally normal behavior. Or sometimes it's just is a bit of catch down and growth. And as long as we're monitoring things super carefully and closely, as a checking you know, checking that baby over, making sure not we're not missing anything, you know, dropping down a little bit and then finding a different centile and then following it isn't necessarily a sign of low supply or of a problem with breastfeeding. But kind of the only way to know that is is to check in with a lactation consultant with a um, health professional who sees lots of young babies mm. and to hopefully get that reassurance that actually this is all okay and
1: exactly how it's meant to be. because mm. stress, unfortunately, will impact supply yeah. as well. So <laughs> <That's true>. again, <laughs> yeah. outsource your stress to Dr. Eliza. No, it's it's like a shame lactation. everyone <laughs> can't just see you, a lactation
0: and a consultant and a GP and a sleep specialist all in one yeah, that's amazing. pretty yeah rare to find so thank mm. you so much for sharing with us today we've really really loved picking your brain about a question that I know is mm. gonna yeah a topic sorry mm. that's going to really help a lot of parents ease some anxiety I think pleasure thanks so much for having me it's Been great to chat thank you for listening to
1: boob to food the podcast
0: we hope this episode made you feel inspired confident
1: and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate and review. See you next week. Bye.